Hey, it's Greg Stanley. Do you know you can now win prizes such as a Starbucks gift card, Concord tickets, or car swag for being the first to answer an entertaining trivia question? Get the weekly trivia question by following me on Instagram or Facebook at The Collector Car Podcast and just DM me your answer. The first person with the correct answer wins. Also, as a new aspect of my automotive passion and hobby, I am a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. If you need assistance consigning a collector car at Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, Auburn, West Palm, or Hershey, email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, this is Greg Stanley, and you're listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Now, if you're an auto enthusiast, which I'm assuming you are since you're listening to this podcast, you know that there is a lot of craziness going on within the collector car world today. So this is not an extensive or complete list, but I thought I'd give a few updates as it relates to COVID and some of the events going on out there. So from a concourse perspective, a lot of shows have been canceled. Almost all of the shows have been canceled or moved to different dates the newest cancellations are Hilton Head was canceled, Audrain in La Jolla, and I believe Hilton Head and La Jolla actually moved theirs once, and they decided they just can't go forward with it. Uh, let's see. Sandhill Motoring is still occurring Labor Day weekend. Eyes on Design is still happening on Father's Day. The Colorado Concourse, Greenbrier, and Cars on Kiowa, those are all still happening at later dates. And if you want to know more, go to concourse.news.com. Not everything's totally up to date on that website, but it does have all the links to the Concord pages. And then just a quick update as far as auctions that have transitioned to online and have found some success. Barrett Jackson had an online June auction, but they only had about a 48% sell-through rate, which isn't great. Uh, that's a little tricky because they're traditionally no reserve auctions, and that's what their customer base expects, and they transition to an online auction with reserve uh, but they do have a July online-only auction coming up, and it looks like, at least for right now, their Las Vegas and Palm Beach auctions are still live events, so we'll see if those change. One thing I thought was kind of funny as a bullet point from their press release for their June online auction, they said they broke two records. I was like, oh, what records did they break? Well, they sold a 2010 Dodge Challenger drag pack race car for $60,000, a little bit over sixty grand, and then a 1984 Dodge Daytona Turbo, which sold for $20,000, so not the biggest records in the world. I think the the threshold was fairly low on those two. I will say the 1984 Dodge Daytona Turbo has a special place in my heart because a car I shared with my sisters during high school was a 1984 Chrysler Laser Turbo, which is basically the sister car to that. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Lee canceled its Tulsa show auction, uh, and then Meekum, they moved Indy once, and now it's in July, which I hope it sticks because I go to that one every year and I'm dying to see the uh, Shelby collection that's being auctioned off there. Uh, but it looks like the rest of their schedule is intact, which I find surprising because they have, I think it was a tractor auction coming up like in two weeks, which is kind of crazy. And they actually added a Kissimmee Summer Special. Normally that's their big auction in January, so I'm curious to see if that comes off without a hitch. Russo and Steel was pretty much done for 2010 or 2020. They're kicking off next year at Arizona. And then RM Sotheby's, they, as I mentioned before on a previous podcast, they had a huge success at the first online sale with West Palm. Uh, online only, over 70% sell-through rate. They're driving to summer, which was just a couple weeks ago that we talked about in our last podcast. They achieved over 64% sell-through rate, which is just amazing. 
Monterey switched to online called Shift Monterey. And then Auburn Fall is still live on-premises. So hopefully that will occur. And if you're there, shoot me a note at gstanley at rmsethabees.com. I'd love to meet you in person. So uh, let's move on to some Corvettes. This episode, I'm going to cover all generations of Corvettes. So it sounds like that should be like a six-hour show. It is not going to be a six-hour show. It will be one of our longer ones just because there's a lot of data to get through. If you're a Corvette fan, please hang on. I will cover a lot of stuff that you'll probably find interesting. If you're not a Corvette fan, hang on anyways, because it's some pretty interesting stuff as it relates to the generational shift that's occurring right now in the collector car hobby. So now my, my day job is not in the automotive industry, but I crunch all sorts of data for my customers and my brokers, so I'm used to crunching numbers all of the time. I calculate everything from trade rates to ROIs, which is return on, on investments, to category trends. And today I'm going to apply this knowledge to every generation of Corvettes, the C1s through the C8-ish, because C8s are fairly new. I'm going to tell you the gainers and the decliners from a valuation perspective by generation. So I'd like to give a quick call out to Haggerty's valuation team because they were kind enough to provide me some really interesting and great data I needed to crunch these numbers. Now, if you like these types of market trends, please let me know. Like I said, I mentioned my email address is gstanley at rmsuthabees.com. I like to think these deep dives are not going into the deep space of the interweb that folks find them entertaining and informative. Uh, Anyways, so speaking of Corvettes, I will have a certified public accountant as a guest on a future episode to explain how auctioning a car off to support a nonprofit organization works. So if you're not aware, a month or two ago at a Barrett-Jackson auction, they auctioned off the very first serial number 001 2020 Corvette. Now this went to Rick Hendricks, who owns Hendricks Racing, which is one of the biggest NASCAR organizations, and he paid $3 million for a new Corvette. Now, I want to understand the math behind that. Like, how much money do you or your business have to make to where donating $3 million to a nonprofit is considered a good deal? And if you're not aware, he pretty much does that for every new Corvette that comes out. I think he paid over $2 million for the last generation, first serial number Z06, and a million dollars for a lot of serial number 001s previous to that. So I just want to know the math behind that. I'm just curious. Now, as a reminder, what are the different Corvette generations? So Gen 1, the C1, is 1953 to 1962. Uh, C2 is 1963 to 1967. C3 is a long span. It's 1968 to 1982. The C4 Corvette is 1984 to 1996. C5 is 1997 to 2004. C6 is 2005 to 2013. And the C7 is 2014 to 2019. The C8 right now is just 2020. <laughs> so not a lot of data on that particular model yet. So before we review each generation, and say, hey, what kind of trends show up based on C1 versus C2 all the way to C8? Now, this data is for the previous 12 months when this data was pulled, which I believe was May the 1st, 2020. And just under 1,300 Corvettes came up for auction in the U.S. So that's what this is based on, all the ones that came up for auction, uh, 1,296 Corvettes. Now, if you had to guess which generation had the most cars to cross the auction block, what would it be? 
Now, my gut would be a C2. That's the 1963 to 1967. Those are iconic. Those are collectible. They've been around forever. But strangely enough, the most popular car or Corvette generation to cross the auction block was the C3, the 1968 to 1982. 30%, over 30% of all of those 1,300 cars were from this generation. So I think this speaks to a lot of things. I do think it's, I do believe it speaks to the generational shift. Some folks are liking the newer old cars, for lack of a better way to put it. So why is there so much interest in this generation? It makes sense that their value would continue to rise, wouldn't it? So there's a lot of interest. You know, 30% of the cars that came to auction were from one generation. You would think everybody's going after those cars. There's not enough on the market, and they would rise. But as with anything else, if the supply outweighs the demand, the prices may be suppressed, which we kind of find that out here in a second. There are a lot of C3 Corvettes on the market. Now let's review how each generation performed over the latest 52 weeks. And I calculated this data by adding up the values across all of the models in Haggerty's database. And then I divided it by the total number of models for that generation. So for example, let's see if I got my numbers here. For the C1 generation, there were 37 cars in Haggerty's database. Now this was everything from Every model year, 1953, 1954, 1955, but then also every body style, which in the Corvette, it was basically a convertible for that first generation. If it had a hard top, that would have been included. And then if it was a six-cylinder or eight-cylinder, or if it was the different levels of powertrain, uh, horsepower, um, all the different levels. Now, as we got, as the Corvette became more mature and offered more options, or the generation went for many more years, such as the C3, there were more models present in the database. So C2 had 52 uh, data points. C3 had 84 data points. C4 had 47, yada, yada, yada. So that is what I'm basing it on. Now, all this data was then compared to the same set of data points from three years ago. So first, I'm going to compare which generation grew the most over the last three years. So which total value of all the cars in Haggerty's database went up in three years. And I'm going to go from high to low. Now, this is pretty interesting because there was actually only two generations that increased in value over the last three years. Now, that sounds really bad, but most of them were basically flat to slightly down. So believe it or not, the generation that grew the most over the last three years was the C5. It grew 5.5%. That's the 1997 to 2004 Corvette. Now, I think part of that is because there are, those are lower price point cars, and the generation that would appreciate those is coming to age where they can now buy those as an entry-level collector car. Now, the second one that grew, as I mentioned, was the C1s. The C1s grew just a little bit, 0.8% over the last three years. And then, unfortunately, the next generations all declined. Uh, this one does not include the C8 because that is a new car. So the C4 came in third, it's down 1.3%. The C2 came in fourth, down 1.5%. And the C3 came in fifth, down 1.6%. So not a big deal, just down a hair. Now the C6 is down a lot, but that actually makes sense because those cars are still depreciating in value. They're not that old. So they haven't bottomed out from a depreciation aspect of it. Typically it's a 18 to 20 year mark that they'll start to appreciate in the other direction, so they haven't quite bottomed out yet. Those were down 10.9%. Now let's look at what price bucket these are selling in. So this is 
price buckets as identified by Haggerty. And this is pretty interesting as well. So under $25,000 of those 1,300 cars that came to auction, 560 of them were under $25,000. So 43.2% of the cars that came for to auction were under $25,000. And the average model year was 1987, 1986.9. So that's, that's speaking to a lot of cars around that age and time range. The C3, C4s came to market. From twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars, there were two hundred and sixty-four cars, twenty percent. The average value there was, or the average year was nineteen seventy-seven. From fifty thousand to one hundred thousand dollars, there were three hundred and twelve cars that came to market, twenty-four percent. The average year was nineteen sixty-eight. So that makes sense. You're moving to the older, more expensive cars. From one hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, there were one hundred forty-three cars. That average age was again 1968, and then from 250,000 to 1 million dollars, there were 16 cars. The average model year was 1963. Now there was one car that sold for over 1 million dollars. I already talked to it. It's the 3 million dollar car, 2020 Corvette that Rick Hendricks bought. A couple notes. Uh, let's see. For the under 25k car, the average value of the C3s at auction was only 25 grand, while the C4 average value was. 14 grand, so entry level cars there from 25 to 50,000 uh, dollars. This could include some driver level C2s. I helped a friend of mine sell a 1965 C2 red on red, I'm sorry, red convertible black interior, four speed original engine. It sold for 42 grand, and that was a great little car. Uh, from 50,000 to 100,000 dollars, those are pretty much the C2s and early C3s. And then, as I mentioned before, uh, 100,000 to 250k was probably mostly the C2s. Now, what was interesting when we went over to 250k to one million dollar, I found out I did a little bit of deep research on the 16 cars that came up for auction, and there were the typical uh, 69 L88, or they had a 63 split window Z06 big tank, but there were seven custom roadsters. These are cars that uh, they most of them were. 63s or 59 58 corvettes that they had a whole new running gear whole new chassis whole new engine had an ls4 ls5 engine you know brand new everything done to the nine sold for 300 grand 400 grand mostly at barrett jackson uh so that was pretty cool to see that trend of the restro mods having such a big impact on the market data now let's look at what were the top five sales by price bucket so again i'll just talk to those price buckets i mentioned before and what was the top car that sold at auction this year? So the under $25,000 price bucket, the top seller was a 1998 Corvette Pace car, sold for just under $21,000. From twenty-five dollars to $50,000, it was a 1967 VET uh, that sold for forty-eight grand. From fifty dollars to $100,000, it was a 1957 Corvette, sold for a little bit over $81,000. From one hundred thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, it was a nineteen sixty seven Corvette, sold for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then from uh, two hundred fifty thousand to one million, it was a nineteen sixty six Corvette Resto mod, sold for four hundred and forty thousand dollars. A lot of money for that. So now we'll look at the average quoted value. Now this is what the quoted value is when folks call in to get a car insured. Haggerty takes all this information and compiles it so that you can look at by generation, by demographic. So we're gonna look at the pre-boomers, 
the boomers, the Gen Xers, and the millennials to find out how it differed on the quoted value for each. As expected, the baby boomers have cash and liquidity to pay up for the best. Gen X are the second biggest spenders, which makes sense as their average age is probably, let me do my math here, you know, probably in their 30s, early 40s, and they're reaching their peak of their earning income. The pre-boomers are third in spending, and as the oldest group, they are a little tighter with their funds. Uh, They probably don't want the fancy show car anymore. They want something that's more comfortable that they can use. And lastly are the millennials who are getting into the hobby probably at a driver's level. So they're trying to buy cheaper stuff uh, because they don't have as much money as everyone else. Now, it's not a huge gap when you look at the difference between boomers and millennials. The difference between the biggest spenders, the boomers, and the millennials, as far as average quoted value, is only 9.1% difference. Now, if we make the leap to equate quoted value to the condition and rarity of the car, the boomers pay up for the C1 to C3 Corvettes first, The pre-boomers spend good money on the C4s and C5s, and Gen X pays the most for C6s and C7s, which is kind of interesting. They're buying fairly new stuff. So when you look at the quotes by generation, the C3 Corvette gets the most quotes by millennials with 31% share of the quotes. The second most quotes is the C4 at almost 21%. And you've probably heard that there is a generational shift occurring right now. It's the baby boomers age. And then the next generation of car enthusiasts don't always want cars from the 1950s and 1960s. So that's really apparent here as the C2 and C1 and C2 Corvettes only equate to around 50% of total insurance quotes. Think about that. The number of quotes for C1 and C2 Corvettes out of all the quotes that Haggerty gets on Corvettes is only 15%. So what I would consider the most classic and iconic Corvettes of all time, the C1 C2s, those get the least amount of quotes right now. So you would think that means less folks are interested in them. They're not getting new buyers that might eventually have an effect on the value of the cars because less people want them. So we will have to see. So finally, we're going to get to the gainers and decliners by generation. So I'm just going to go through each generation and tell you the top three gainers and the top three decliners for each generation. And then I'm going to pick the top Five gainers, the top five decliners out of all the generations, which is pretty interesting. So for C1, the top, I'll start with the decliners. So the top decliners, let's see, 1962 Corvette base convertible is down 11.4%. That's with the 360 horsepower engine. So that's a hypo little engine right there. The 1955 Corvette, third year production. Uh, That one's down 14%, which is pretty interesting because I think they only made 700 Corvettes that year. And the 1953, the original iconic first year, is down the most, 22.1%. A lot of that has to do with folks don't see that as a fun car to drive. It's got the blue flame six cylinder in it. It's not, it doesn't have the V8. You know, it's more of a cruiser versus uh, what most people think of as a Corvette today. The three gainers for C1 would be the 1957 Corvette with the 220 horse engine that uh, went up 7.7%. The 1958 Corvette uh, with the 230 horse engine went up 8.4%. And the 1959 Corvette with the 230 horse. So basically, the same car from 57, 58, 59 uh, specs went up 7 to 9%. So that's kind of interesting. For C2, the biggest. Decliners were a 67 Corvette convertible, 427, 435 horse, went down 12.3%. 1960, 
the 66 convertible 427 425 horse went down 16.6 percent this is really interesting and then the biggest decliner was the 66 corvette base coupe not the convertible the coupe with the 427 425 horse went down 17.7 percent so the biggest decliners for c2 were the 66 and 67 427 big block cars which is kind of shocking now which one of the c2s went up in value the 65 corvette base coupe 250 horsepower went up 10.3 percent the 63 split window coupe base coupe went up 16.9 percent and the 64 base coupe went up the 250 horse went up 31 percent so that's interesting 63 64 65 small blocks went up while the big blocks went down now for the c3s if you're looking at those the decliners would be these declined quite a bit the 78 pace car with the uh, L48 went down 20.8%. The 82 Corvette Collector's Edition went down 21.7%. And the biggest decliner was the 78 Pace Car again, with the L82 went down 25%. So isn't that interesting? The the collector cars, the quote-unquote collector cars, the anniversary, not the anniversary cars, but you know the special edition cars went down. Now let's look at the C3 Gainers. Gainers were, let's see, a 1970 base coupe with a 370 horsepower 350, went up 9.3%. The 73 convertible 454 uh, big block engine went up 13.4%. And the 73 base coupe with the 454 went up 24.6%. That is really weird. So we got the C2 big blocks declining in value. We got the C3 big blocks gaining in value. Weird. All right, now C4s. All right, so these C4, I always thought the C4s were very pretty cars. So let's look at the decliners. 1991 Corvette Callaway Coupe, twin turbo, 403 horsepower, went down 11.8%. The 96 Corvette GS Convertible went down 12.2%. And the 96 Corvette GS Coupe, that's the Grand Sport, went down 14 So all these special editions are getting hit, which is weird. All right, now which ones gained? Now, these are all were between 4.7 and 4.8% gainers, so I'm not going to break them out. The 84 Corvette Base Coupe, which is not a good car, uh, went up 4.7%. And then an 86 Convertible and the 86 Base Coupe went up 4.7%, 4.8%. That's really interesting. I would have thought the later models, the better cars of that generation, the 91s, the 96, especially the Grand Sports, would have gone up, but nope. I am wrong on that one. All right, let's look at the C5s. So C5s, the three... All right, so this one only had one decliner. Uh, Again, another special edition car. The 1998 Corvette Indy Pace car uh, declined 7.5%. And then there were two items, that two Corvettes that were flat. So I just include those in the, the decliners, even though technically they weren't declining. Again... Uh, commemorative edition cars, the 2004 commemorative edition convertible and the coupe were both flat. Now, which ones gained, increased in value? So all of these were 10% to 11.9%, and they all three were the 2003 Corvette 50th, 50th anniversary cars, the convertible, the pace car convertible, and the coupe. So let's let's recap this for a second. Up until now, 
all of the special edition cars have been declining, then all of a sudden, the 2003 50th anniversary, all three models are increasing. All right. This is spooky. I didn't pre-read this. I'm learning this as you learn it. Now, for C6, I have a lot more than three gainers and three decliners, only because it was a massive tie. So these five decliners all declined at 16.4%. The 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, ZR1 Coupe. Special made, supercharged, 638 horsepower. And then for the gainers, all of these increased in value exactly 6.5%. The 2007, 2008, 2009, 2000, actually all the way through 2013, Corvette Z06. All the different editions, the Coupe, the GT1 Championship Coupe, the Carbon Fiber Edition, the Centennial Edition, the 60th Anniversary Coupe, all the Z06 special stuff went up 6.5%. I'm sorry, they all went down 6.5%. So as I said before, the C6s continue to decline. They're still a depreciating asset. These declined the least, I guess is the best way to put it. Now let's review the top five gainers and losers across all generations, all eight generations. Well, all seven. We only have that one C8 to talk about. Okay, so the top decliners from, let's see, smallest to largest decline would be that 66 Corvette-based coupe. The big block was at 17.7. The 1978 pace car, uh, the L48, the lower horsepower version, was at 20.8. The 1982 Corvette Collector's Edition was minus 21.7. The 1953, the original, was down 22.1. And the biggest loser when it came to uh, Corvette market share or market trends over the last three years was the 1978 Corvette Pace Car Coupe L82 down 24.7. Now let's go to the good news, the ones that gained the most. We'll start with the 1965 Corvette Base Coupe, 250 horsepower, uh, 10.3% up. Then it's the 2003 Corvette 50th Anniversary Coupe up 119 then it's the 63 split window, uh, 300 horsepower, up 16.9. And then it's the 1973 big block 454 coupe of 24.6. And the big winner up the most over the last three years out of all Corvette generations was the 1964 Corvette base coupe, 350 horse, up 31%. So very interesting numbers. I appreciate your time today. Feel free to shoot me a note with your thoughts, your comments. If you have a special request, if there's something you would like to hear me talk about or do a deep dive on, please let me know. And again, if you're looking to consign or want more information about uh, working with RM Sotheby's with your car or your collection, feel free to shoot me a note. Keep the tires straight and on the road, and I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.